You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Jeremiah chapter 42. Jeremiah chapter number 42, we'll read verse number uh, 9, down through verse number 19 tonight, so uh, you can remain seated just because it's a lengthy portion of Scripture. I've not been at this even half as long as Pastor has, I think I've been at long enough to say this, that uh, church is constant work. Constant work. I don't know if you've ever had a garden before. Where we're from, everybody has a garden. And you enjoy the fruit of that garden, but you understand this. You get into it thinking, that'll be fun. Let's have a garden. That is work. It is a lot easier to go to the grocery store and buy a can of green beans than it is to grow those things and then string those things. And I probably just lost you when I said that, but string beans. And it's a lot easier just to go buy a can of corn than it is to grow corn, then shuck corn, and then take it off the cob, all those things. It's work. Church is constant battle to keep it where it needs to be. There's a constant pull left, constant pull right, and to stay centered is just a constant struggle. You say, how do you know that? Because it's like that in the Christian life. Individually, as a Christian, it's a battle constantly to try to keep ourselves where we're supposed to be. And with that in mind, the Lord referred to Israel as His vineyard, right? He had to tend to them. He took care of them. Same thing's true with the local church. For a church to stay pure, positionally right, until we see Jesus face to face, takes a good gardener. It takes a lot of work. And uh, I want you to look at this passage with me tonight. Jeremiah 42, verse number 9. Look at it with me. And said unto them, this is Jeremiah responding to his people. He's spoken with the Lord and he gives them the message. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto whom you sent me to present your supplication before him. If you will still abide in this land, then will I build you and not pull you down. And I'll plant you and not pluck you up. For I repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon. That's a good statement for today, isn't it? Of whom you are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I'll show mercy unto, mercies unto you that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you will say, will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord your God, saying, No, but will go into the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor have hunger of bread, and there we will dwell. And now therefore hear the word of the Lord, ye remnant of Judah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if ye wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt and go to sojourn there, then it shall come to pass that the sword which ye feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine whereof you are afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there ye shall die. So shall it be with all the men that set their faces to go into Egypt to sojourn there. They shall die by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. And none of them shall remain or escape from the evil that I'll bring upon them. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as mine anger and my fury hath been poured forth upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so shall my fury be poured forth upon you when he shall enter into Egypt. And he shall be an execration and an astonishment, and a curse, and a reproach, and ye shall see this place no more. Our text verse comes from verse 19. The Lord hath said concerning you, O ye remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. The people of God are a bit nervous. 
They're worried. Nebuchadnezzar is pressing, and they're afraid that they're going to go into captivity if they stay put. Now, God makes them the promise, if you stay put, I'll bless you. If you'll hold your position, I'll root you, build you up. You'll have it uh, made, everything that you need, if you stay put. But they desire to flee. That's what the flesh does. The flesh always looks for the easy way out. And they decided to go to Egypt, and he said, now listen, if you go to Egypt, you say you don't want to fight, but the fight will follow you there. You say you're worried about the famine, but the famine will follow you there. Yep. Say you're worried about pestilence, and it'll follow you there. You don't escape your trouble by getting out of the will of God. He said, here's the command. Go ye not into Egypt. Amen. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this thought. That's the phrase. That's the title. Go ye not into Egypt. There's not less fighting over there. There's not less struggle over there. There's not less heartache over there. There's not an easier life outside of the right position or the will of God. The way of a transgressor is hard. Go ye not into Egypt. Lord, I pray for power, please. I pray you'd help our church. I pray you'd help us, Lord, just to put another brick in the building that will just preserve this place. Thank you for what you've done, what you're doing, what you purpose to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We all know that old song that says, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, right? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. But here's the phrase, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That song expresses the sentiment of the scripture that the Christian or the church should not feel comfortable, compatible, or at home in the world. There's a reason why God refers to you and I as strangers. There's a reason why we are called sojourners. There's a reason why we're referred to as pilgrims. There's a reason tonight why we're called ambassadors. There is a purpose behind the Bible command. We're to set our affections on things above and not on things on the earth. And the reason for that is this is just the blink of an eye. This is just a flea hopping on the tail of eternity. This is just a small dash between a couple of dates. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. And that means we ought not live like the world or worship like the world or walk like the world. Egypt is not fit for the Christian and the Christian has not been fashioned for Egypt. James admonished Christians in his own generation, and he wrote under inspiration of God, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Plainly what James is saying is this, that if you make the world your affection, if you chase after it, if you submit to it, if you pine after the things of this world, it literally puts you as anti-God or against God. God. He says, you and I that are saved are not supposed to love this world. When we adopt the world's dress, or we adapt to the world's standard, or we associate with the world's activities, we are positioning ourselves as an enemy of God. In fact, James likens the Christian, this is stout preaching from James, the Christian that does that as being a spiritual adulterer, someone unfaithful to the God that saved them. Now, there may be areas where it's okay if we leave things up to personal opinion 
And there probably are areas where it's okay for us to disagree on preference, but this topic is nailed down tight by the Bible. There is no debating it. There is no private interpretation. The spiritual man cannot fit into an unspiritual world. The world is not fit for the Christian, and the Christian ought not be in love with this world. The moment you and I got saved, we were put at a diametrically opposed position from this world. There is no way, and you might as well quit trying, there is no way you're ever going to feel comfortable in this world if you're saved. Also, if you're saved, there's no way this world is ever going to be comfortable with you. It's not going to happen. John 15, 19 says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So there's nothing crazier. It is against the plain command of Christ. There is nothing crazier than a Christian to try to fit in with this world or for the Christian to expect love to them from this world. If the world ever applauds your Christianity, bro, you are doing it wrong. John 16, in the world you should have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now we can differ on some things. We can differ on the color of our carpet in the church. We can differ and part ways over Pepsi and Coca-Cola. We can agree or disagree on Chevy or Ford. Is that all right? They sit up in heaven, they divide people, they say, what kind of car did you drive? And the man said, I had a Pontiac. He said, all right, you go over there with the Presbyterians. He said, what kind of car do you drive? He said, I go drive a Chevrolet. He said, you go over there with the Baptist. Another man said, what? He said, what do you drive? He said, I drove a Ford. He said, okay, you go over there with the Christian scientists because you just thought you had a car. <laughs> of course, we know none of them will be in heaven anyhow, but it's a good joke. Uh, there might be room to disagree on the Oakland Athletics or the San Francisco Giants, but there's no room for my opinion or your opinion on this. We are not to love the world and we're not going to be accepted by the world. 1 John 2.15 tells me, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God's desire has been and is tonight, not that his people run to Egypt, but that his people run from Egypt. The Christian and the church ought to stand out in a stark contrast from this world like light stands out in contrast to darkness. When our Savior was in this world, he was not welcomed by the world. Jesus was not the, uh, the leading man invited to every social function of this world. Jesus did not have a key to a city. No statues were erected of him in a town square. He wasn't booked to meet with leading media venues. He wasn't given invitations to attend everybody's bar mitzvah, if you will. Jesus was absolutely hated by this world. He was scorned. He was mocked. He was slandered. He was lied on. He was beaten. He was crucified. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The world was no friend to Jesus because Jesus was no friend to the system of this world. And can I say tonight, you're not going to fit a round peg into a square hole. It isn't going to happen. Christian, you and I are never going to mesh. We're never going to knit together. We're never going to fit in this world. So why in the world are we worried about fitting in with some place we can't fit in with? John 3, 16 says, but God so loved the world. Yeah, but don't twist the verse. It's talking about those living on the planet. 
He's not talking about having a passion for the world's philosophy or the world's system or the world's world view. He's saying, I love every breathing person on that planet. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So here's the message. Go you not into Egypt. Don't go to Egypt, the world. Don't go to Egypt for your entertainment. Don't go to Egypt for your philosophy. Don't go to Egypt for your worship. Don't go to Egypt for your politics. Don't go to Egypt. For centuries, the church has cried out against Christians and worldliness. But today it's sad. The trend is different. Most churches are complicit with Christians embracing worldliness. The trend today is not blatant rebellion because it's too obvious. Even an unspiritual babe in Christ can discern blatant rebellion so we don't have blatant rebellion. We have subtle redefining and redirecting of historic position. Apostasy is easy to avoid, but assimilation creeps in subtly over time. That is why Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 1, that there'll be false prophets that will privily, they'll sneak in, and when they do, they'll bring in damnable heresies. Here's the statement. We're not leaving God for the world. What they think is God will ride a shotgun on their journey to the world, but he won't go with them. If you were to mute the average church that streamed on my social media and just watch it, you'd have a hard time distinguishing what you see there to be church. What you see, now let's just be honest, you, you don't have to agree with me, you can be wrong if you want to, but let's just be honest. If you were just to mute it and look at it, you would think, oh, that's Nashville or New York, New York City. That's the comedy barn but not a church. If you were to mute the average pastor when he does his update video and just look at him, if you didn't know as a pastor, you'd say, well, that's maybe a comedian, maybe an interior designer, maybe he's part of that boy band pastor mentioned in sync. <laughs> he didn't hear him say that. Anyway, pray for me. Maybe he's a coffee shop open mic moderator. I don't know what he is, but surely he's not a man of God. Worldliness works its way into the church from the top down. Here's what I've noticed. New converts never push for worldliness. Backslidden preachers push for worldliness. New converts don't mess up a church. Old converts mess up a church. If I had my choice, now let's just keep this between us. If I was going to pastor a church, I don't want to be all new converts. And after they get a little seasoned, we just kick them out and start over. It'd be easier to start over, wouldn't it, than to deal with all the mess that comes with people who think they're theologians because they've been saved for a month. I've never, I'd much rather have a guy, and I don't want that to happen here and watch everybody will come, all the deacons next week. So I'd rather have a guy smoking cigarettes in the, in the parking lot than come in church, say amen, shout, get on an altar and love God and try to do right than somebody come in and try to bring in sin or compromise into a church. Because I can work with that crowd. It's, you can't do anything with the other. Amen. I don't think any pastor, church, parent, or Christian has ever stood before Jesus when they got to heaven and said, I'm sorry I was too separated from this world. But can you imagine the terror that would be in the hearts of those that were guilty of guiding God's people to the world? Now, don't get upset with a man of God who cries out against culture. You ought not get upset with a man of God who cries out against compromise. You ought not be upset with a man of God that calls out corruption. If his heart is pure and his motive is true, he is trying to keep you straight so you'll be unashamed at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, 2, Paul said, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you 
a chaste virgin to Christ. James 1, 27, a pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. It is sad when the church is more militant against biblical militancy than they are outright compromised. It is bad when public enemy number one is a man that stands on the word of God rather than someone who pushes sin in our society. The average preacher of my generation will never preach uh, against secularism. They don't preach against sin unless it's generic, but they'll preach against standards and consecration any moment they get the chance. We're just working in the garden a little bit tonight. That's all we're doing, pulling out weeds and things. Without any doubt, there's going to be some compromising pastors, and it's fearful to say it because it could happen to any of us that will have to stand before the Lord, and they're not going to present a pure, chaste church to the Lord. Could you imagine standing before a holy God and presenting a worldly little flock of people that never was challenged to grow in grace, never given the opportunity to be conformed to the image of Christ because they got no Bible doctrine? Could you imagine the, 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 the tears shed the loss of reward of a man of God like that standing before, it's a bigger deal than running a company. You see, why you got to draw the lines so tight? Why you got to be so hard on them? Because this is bigger than what they do down at Dick's Sporting Goods. And it's more important what they do at Chick-fil-A. And God bless Jesus' chicken. We all like it. It's fine. Uh, but it's bigger than that. This is the house of God. And one day we'll give an account for the house of God. Pastors aren't perfect people. But every pastor that preaches the King James Bible preaches a perfect book. And it's plain in our Bible that you and I that are saved ought not make our home in this world. God's expectation has not changed. His people might change, but God has not. And God says, go ye not into Egypt. I think about Moses. Moses wasn't for sale. He esteemed the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt and God's people have always been called to separation. As far as day is from night, truth is from error, oil and water, we're supposed to be different from this world. By the way, that's not an oppressive calling. That's not to hurt you or to keep good things from you. That is to pull you out so that God can pull you in to that fatherly relationship. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I'll receive you and be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord uh, Almighty. I, I'm kind of concerned today. We're more zealous over being inclusive than accurate with the Bible. We're more tolerant of error than valiant for the truth. It's amazing. Some Christians, and they ought to be, are, they're upset with Biden's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. But the only thing that makes some Christians more upset than that is when the preacher asks them to withdraw from the world. Amen. You say, wait, he sure did mess that up. Yeah, but we're messing it up too. We have a withdrawal going on and we're kind of failing at it as well. I'm worried over the readiness of God's people to run to Egypt for their advice. Why in the world would you pay a psychiatrist? That person's not even saved. Everybody all right? Why would you go to a lost person to give you life advice? That's not biblical. That's not popular. I'll probably get in trouble for that. It's just not biblical though. We got people who move and they don't even talk to the pastor before they think about moving. That's crazy. Hello? Why would you go to Egypt for your attire advice? Aren't you glad that we don't all do that? Wouldn't some of these dudes look ugly in a dress? They look ugly in a suit. Could you imagine, you see old Evan Sprague's thighs in a miniskirt? Wouldn't that, I mean, we'd all lose our Christianity. I mean, he's been losing wage and he's getting in shape, but still, I'm not ready for that, Evan. 
God help your wife's not even ready. We don't go to, I'm glad Evan doesn't go to Egypt for his attire. We don't go to Egypt for our associations. You say, well, I need friends. Well, don't find them out there. Find them in here. Somebody said, somebody said I just can't make any friends. That's because you don't go to Sunday school. You'll make friends in Sunday school. Get you in a Sunday school class. We don't go to Egypt for acceptance. I'm bothered when people fill pulpits and they lead the charts into the world like some carnal uh, pied piper. God had mercy on their backslidden soul. I mean, leading people out into the world. Jesus died to get us out, not to leave us in. Why would we ever want God's house to look like Egypt? Why would we want our worship to sound like Egypt? Why would you want your family to fall apart like they do out in Egypt? Why would we care what they wear out in Egypt? 1 John 2, 17, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Samson lost his power because he lost separation. Lost, 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 lost his family because he lost separation. Elimelech lost his life because he lost separation. Worldly churches do not turn this world upside down and worldly Christians will not win this world to Jesus Christ. Isaiah 30 and verse 7, for the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. I fear the world is better at evangelization than we are. The world is in a better job at evangelizing the church than the church has done at evangelizing the world. You say, prove it to me, all right? Open your eyes and look. The church is far more worldly than the world is churchy. In Christianity today, everything is so light. It's so soft. It's so effeminate. It's so casual. It's so fun. It's so spiritually stunted. It's so fluid. There's no lines of demarcation. It's offensive to be absolute and have a position. Everything is marked by the sights and sounds of Egypt. I like the song we sing. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Romans 12 to him. Be not conformed to this world. Don't try to fit in. Don't try to match up. But find the will of God and do the will of God for your life. In Jeremiah 42, God, God's people are a bit panicked. And you always make dumb decisions when you make decisions as you're panicked. I always would say this at the church before we moved here when I was there just that short time. You never lose your ship from harbor in a storm because you'll wreck your vessel every time. You wait till the wind changes and wait till the seas are calm and you lose your vessel in calm days, not stormy days. They're panicked. If you read the preceding chapters, here's why they're panicked. A man named Gedaliah had been set up as governor over the remnant of the Jews in Jerusalem. So a large number of Jews that had been scattered have now returned and they're living in the city. There's a man named Johanan who gets word that a man named Ishmael, and you've got to watch out for people like that, intended to murder this man, Gedaliah. He informs the governor of this murder plot, but Gedaliah and he, uh, ignores the warning. In the beginning of chapter 41, the Bible says that Gedaliah is killed by Ishmael. Now, Johanan leads a confederation of forces to go out and fight against this man, but he escapes. Now, that brings us to chapter 42. Now, they make a good decision. They go to the man of God to intercede on their behalf. Have. And that is always the right thing to do. When problems come, your first stop ought to be your man of God. Say amen right there. You ought not run from church, run to church when trouble comes. They go to the prophet Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah. You know, I thought about this. He never did win many souls, but man, they sure didn't need him. He prayed them through. They went to him for counsel. He didn't have all the fruit hanging from the branches that we'd like to see because we couldn't number it. But man, he was vital to his generation. They were worried. They thought Nebuchadnezzar might come and invade Jerusalem. So the, Johanna said, if you'll pray to God, I promise you we'll do whatever God tells you to do. For 10 days, he seeks God's face. If you only knew how much time went into a 30-minute sermon. For 10 days, he sought God's face. He gets a word from God. 
And in verse number 7 through 22, we read it a little bit ago. We read verse 9 down through verse 19. This is what God has to say. God says, I'll protect you if you stay put. I'll bless you if you stay put. I'll provide for you if you stay put. I'll have my presence abide with you if you'll stay put. I'll build you up. I won't pull you down. I'll plant you. I won't pluck you up. I will meet your need. And then in verse 11, he said, you don't have to be afraid of the king of Babylon because I'm on your side. Now, I read that and thought, that's enough promise right there to keep me from going to Egypt. If God said, I'm going to meet your need, if God said, I'm going to abide with you, if God said, I'm going to establish you, if God said, I'm going to whoop Nebuchadnezzar, on your behalf. Hey, I tell you what, you don't have to worry about a thing if you'll just stay where I put you to begin with. Can I say the thing about this church is, you ought not touch anything. Don't twist or don't move a thing. Everything's right where it needs to be, so don't mess with it is what I'm saying. Don't tweak the choir at all. We don't tweak the Sunday school at all unless we just add more of it. Don't have to tweak the buses at all unless we just add more of it. We don't need to change anything, maybe just increase it. But don't touch it. Just leave it where it's at. It runs fine. He said, you just stay where you are, and I'll bless you. Now, on face value, that seems like an easy decision. But I said a minute ago, our flesh is fickle. And their flesh was the same. Now, it seems like it'd be logical. I'm not going to go to Egypt because God's going to bless me here in Judah. Now, on face value, it seems like an easy choice just to obey God and be blessed. I mean, Egypt's no good. It's never been any good. You know your Bible. Egypt's never been a friend to God's people. They put them in chains. They've beaten them. They've torn their back with their whip. They've had them making bricks in their brickyards. Israel uh, is no friend to Egypt. Egypt's no fan of Israel, and they don't like Israel's God. Egypt enslaves. Egypt perverts. Egypt worships false gods. But in verse 13 through 14, God already knows what's going on in their mind. They're thinking temporal, flesh, ease, if we go to Egypt, we won't have to fight anymore. That's why most churches compromise. The preacher gets tired of fighting. There's enough fighting going on without than for you to make fights within. I thought I'd get an amen. If all you weren't causing so much trouble, you'd say amen. It's, it's a constant fight. Amen. And it's not the new convert. It's not the lady who came in wearing uh, blue jeans and just got saved. And then you see, and, and you start talking to her. And she, she, she has no trouble putting her dress on. It's the woman who used to wear them for 20 years all of a sudden got enlightened by a blog. And now she didn't want to wear them. But she still wants to teach her class and expects the preacher to change. He's been the same. Hadn't moved to an iota in 40-some years. And all of a sudden you're different. Expecting he's going crazy. Sunday night. I love Sunday night. Did I tell you Sunday night's my favorite service of the week? If we go to Egypt, if we go to that contemporary church, they won't have to, we won't have to fight, we won't have to worry about the Bible version, we won't have to worry about the way we dress, we won't have to, that preacher, he, he doesn't hide anything, he's honest, oh I bet he is, he's play, playing video games all night long, I trust somebody like that. Call of Duty at 2 a.m. on a, I shouldn't have said that, I'm calling Brother Junar out in church, but I mean just a, didn't mean to. If we go over there, there won't be a famine, man, we're going to get everything we want over there. That church is in a place where it's cheaper to buy a house. We move over there, we won't have to struggle. And so they begin to logic this thing out. You don't need logic. You need the will of God. That's what you need. So they make the decision. And God sums it up again in verse number 19 with our text, of the, uh, our title. He says, go ye not into Egypt. Now that couldn't be any more plain if it was put in neon lights. 
He could buy a billboard on 101 and says, hey, hey, don't go to Egypt. Couldn't be any more plain than we just put it right here in the Bible. He says, don't go down into Egypt. He said, that's not what you do. You're not supposed to go over there. They're not your friend. They're your enemy. They don't worship me. They worship false gods. But sadly, you read the next chapter, you know what they did? They go to Egypt. You know what? Jeremiah said, don't go to Egypt. You know what they did? They packed up the preacher and took him with them. That's sad. Nothing's more sad than when a church compromises around their pastor. Take him with him on the ride. And I'm glad that's not happening here. And I didn't think about saying that, but that's a sad thing. I see it all the time. These faithful men of God that built the church and they're still there hanging on. I don't know if it's because they need a paycheck or they just feel like they're called to stay. But everything around them, they can't stand a thing going on. They complain about, Brother Cooper, this music's out of control. Our youth group's out of control. But they're stuck. They took Jeremiah with them. Now the command was plain. You don't go to Egypt. Now listen, our world is going to hell fast. Our nation is about half a step in front of the world. And can I say tonight that a compromising church is not going to do a thing to slow it down. And compromising Christians aren't going to do a thing to slow it down. God is not in the business of leaving in. God is in the business of bringing out. And the reason God brings out is so that God can pull to. God brought us out of sin. Thank God for that. God brought us out of bondage. God brought us out of that old condemnation. God brought us out from under the law so he could bring us into grace and bring us into mercy and bring us into his family. But the reason he brought us in was to bring us close to himself, to bring us to him. And that's what God wants for us. And can I say, that's our business. I think about this song, Lost, Lost on the Mountains of Sin and Despair, till Jesus in love sought and rescued me there. He saved me from wandering. He gave me release and led me in pathways of blessing and peace. And shall I turn back into the world? Oh, no, not I, not I. You know how far it takes in the Bible to learn about separation in Genesis 1? God created light and darkness and divided them, called the light of the day and the darkness called night. And from there, God sets the standard, light and darkness are separate. Salt and light. Uh, we're speaking salt and light. We're different from this world. Righteousness and unrighteousness, sheep and goats. There's a distinction all the way throughout the Bible. You and I are called a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. Amen. Some of you fit that peculiar definition perfectly. We're losing our country to liquor. And then we have Christians trying to Stand up and say, it's okay to drink it. I don't care if you drink it from a martini glass or a, a brown paper bag. It's vomited out the same way. You say it's culture. No, it's sin. We're losing our country to liberalism. I don't think any kind of compromising preacher has any business preaching against liberal politics. I'll never understand how a liberal preacher votes for a conservative politician. What a hypocrite that is. Every backslidden Baptist preacher ought to be voting for Joe Biden, and maybe they did, and that's why he got in. I don't know. They found 15 million more votes or something today somewhere. They were all for Biden, though. Don't worry. <laughs> Think about it. Corruption's killing our country. Carnality's killing our country. And I think part of it's because Christians have lost their distinction. How can we reach a world that we never touch, we say, but how can we reach a world with which we have no testimony? The world won't be stirred by a church it esteems. The world will be changed by a church it abhors. The world thinks it needs a certain kind of church, but the church it needs is not the one that it wants. The one that it needs is the one that will stay close to this Bible. When the world comes to church, they ought to hear a different sound than they hear out in Egypt. When the world comes to church, they ought to hear a different preaching than what they hear out in Egypt. 
when the world comes to church, they ought to see lives that are different than the lives they see out in Egypt. I believe God could salvage our nation, but not until we salvage ourselves. God could salvage our nation, but only if our churches will salvage themselves and not go into Egypt. Here's what Joseph said, don't bury me in Egypt. Whatever you do, just don't leave my bones there. Here's what Moses said, I don't care if they give me all the wealth in the world. I don't want Egypt. Don't leave me there. Jeremiah said, don't you go down there. God isn't known over there. God isn't loved over there. God isn't worshipped over there. You can have all that. Give me that old time religion. I think I'll stay in Judah. It's good enough for me. You can take this world's wealth and riches. I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire to live for him. The world spit on his face. The world nailed him to a cross. The world uh, crucified our Savior. I don't want to have a love affair with this world. The world behind me, the cross before me, the song says. No turning back, no turning back. Let me just make a couple statements all the way through. There must be a distinctly biblical church in our generation. There has to be a biblical, distinctly biblical church in our generation. They're likening us to terrorists already. I understand that. Somebody commented today about the situation in Afghanistan and said, huh, I guess conservative, uh, religious, conservative, religious conservatism is not the answer after all, huh? Some American liberal. So they're going to liken us to that. I understand that. But they still need us. The king of England needed William Tyndale. As he was burned at the stake and he prayed, God, would you open the eyes of the king? And we have, what, 75% of our King James Bible from William Tyndale's work. They need us whether they know it or not. Our generation needs a distinctly biblical church. And I know what that means. That means he'll be more hated than Al Capone by this world. And you will and I will and all of us will. But so is Jesus. We have to have a place that doesn't just sing like the world sings. We can sing the Lord's song in a strange land. We need some pastors that will not just pastor, have their philosophy like they have out in the world. We need a Sunday school that's not modeled after Egypt. No one's perfect, but I'll say it again, our Bible is. And our Bible tells us to come out from this world and to be different. Righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness empowers a church. Righteousness equips the Christian. And God help us to always err on the side of the Word of God and not the philosophy of this world. Statement number one, separation does not mean oppression. It does not mean isolation. What it means is fellowship with Jesus. I'm separating you. Too many times independent Baptist people brag on what they don't do, but what do you do? Well, I don't do this, that, and the other. That's why you're no fun to hang around. Say amen right there. I'm not talking just about isolating yourself. It's not the hermit ministry. But I tell you why we come out of this world so we can get as close to God as we can get. Statement number two is this. Effectiveness does not come through assimilation. Effectiveness comes through obedience. We can adapt and get a crowd. You go to West Virginia and somebody, the insurance in West Virginia is high, not because there's very many people, because there's a lot of animals. And you got to pay high insurance because deer run across the road all the time. Usually the person in West Virginia kills their first deer with their car, not their gun. But you hit a deer going down the road and that thing's dead laying there on the side of the road. And if nobody picks it up, <laughs> it depends on if there's family coming over, you know, if they need meat. But we used to have these places in West Virginia called Carl's Roadkill Cafe. Its mascot was a dead smashed possum. It was a good place. But anyway, uh, these, these dead deer on the side of the road. We should do a fellowship like that, Roadkill Fellowship. But... Uh, 
Brother Rob, Rob passed out more tracks today than we have in a month. I got a message. He's convicted me, but that was the wrong place to say amen. <laughs> but you hit a deer on the side of the road and you leave it there a few days, it swells up. It's growing. There's a big difference in swelling up and actually growing. These new, new age churches, they'll swell, but they don't grow. And then they blow up and they split because they all get mad at each other. They're not friends anymore, whatever. It's gone. Effectiveness comes from obeying the Word of God. Number three, compromise does not liberate. If that was true, everybody who did it would be free and not have to look back to where they left. But they're not free because they're still in bond. They look, all they do is look back. So here's the message tonight. Don't go to Egypt. Summer has ended and school is starting. The schedule's back, so maybe it's a little bit easier now. It's probably harder in the summertime. But don't lead your family to the world. No father's going to be ashamed when you see Jesus because you were too tight. No mother's going to be ashamed when she sees Jesus that she had the standard a little too high. Amen. No church is going to stand before the Lord and say, you know what, I think we just a little bit try to be a little bit too holy. Now, we might have got it wrong. Maybe we shouldn't have worn them culottes. And I say amen to that. Those are the weirdest things. I remember the first time I heard that word, I thought people were speaking in tongues. Never heard of that in my life. We might do something. We might miss it. But I'd much rather err on the side of trying to do right than blatantly looking like what they watch on MTV. Say amen right there. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.